ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan. This unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome your Studcast host of television and radio fame, Tony Basilio. 93 years, four generations, and here he sits, ensconced in the studio in Knoxville, Tennessee. The first family of wrestling. It will be told. It can be told. Stories that have never been heard. Much of what's happened with the Fuller Wrestling family, the Welch Wrestling family, has been a secret till now. But we go inside the vault on the stud cast, close to 100 years of history. Wrestling royalty sits before me. We call him the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, welcome back for episode four. Hey, how you doing? Glad to be here. In our previous episode, we were just getting past World War II. And as we do in these podcasts, we also take, in the second half, questions from our listeners. And we've had some great ones. As word is starting to spread like wildfire. And I just want to commend you on how open you've been just for letting us in. It's just been terrific here through three episodes. I'm excited to be a part of this. Well, thank you very much. And obviously, I'm excited to be a part of it, too. I mean, should have probably happened 30 years ago, maybe. You know, there was no podcast back 30 years ago. It had been a different medium. But I think it's a story that if you're a wrestling fan and you're a historical wrestling fan or you're just a fan fan... What's going on in my family is kind of a microcosm of how professional wrestling developed over the last 100 years. It's pretty amazing what happened during all that time, and it's even more amazing the guys that were involved. The thing that's really remarkable is that your grandfather was literally there from the very beginning, and you were there right till the end of the territory days. So wrestling as we knew it and loved it in that sweet spot, And it can never happen again the way that it did. But your family was so much of a part of all of that. And when you stop and think back on the breath of the... Our first three stud casts, hundreds of names have come up. Hundreds of names, literally. And there are thousands more that we'll talk about through our time together. It's remarkable. That's for sure. We're going to talk about... I probably know more wrestlers than any person on earth. If I haven't wrestled them, I have seen them, I have heard of them. I've got in my head maybe as many as 3,000, 3,000 wrestlers. They're not all in the United States, haven't been in other countries and wrestled in other countries. I have a pretty broad grasp of who were stars and who weren't stars and 
and a lot of stories. Tony, we're going to get to so many stories about other countries and what it's like to wrestle overseas. But in the progression of where we are, I'd like to go back to Roy. We're getting close to the end of Roy's era. We're in basically the late 40s. Now offspring are coming along again. 1948, I was born. 1949, Robert was born. 1950, Jimmy was born. Roy Lee Welch was born in 51. His brother Jackie was born in 50. This is five more future stars that were born in this time frame. The Fields boys now are wrestling. Dad is wrestling. Lester is wrestling. Herb and Roy are still active in wrestling. They have now introduced long since tag team wrestling in the South first through Roy and Herb, and then six-man tags with Roy, Herb, Jack, and then it developed and evolved into Roy, Herb, and Lester. So you have events that never been had. We've been through the ginger era, having a bear. That's a most unusual thing, and some of the stories about the bear, and I hope people find that interesting. Some of them are almost unbelievable, but they actually happen My dad getting partially eaten by a bear at a young age. Uh, Pretty phenomenal story. Uh, Roy now at this point, he has solidified his territory, and he's done it through the use of his family members, which is about the only way you could do it. You had to trust people because he's now operating in 12 states. He has to send some of his family members my dad, is, for instance, started out wrestling around Dyersburg and then the Tennessee area down into Louisiana. There was no wrestling along the Gulf Coast at all in this time period. My dad moved us to the Tri-Cities, Johnson City, Kingsport, and Bristol. They ran out of the Tri-Cities. Lester was there with him. They ran in Bluefield, West Virginia, and Beckley, and all the way to northern parts of West Virginia. They ran in Virginia towns. They ran some smaller towns in North Carolina. Back in those days, this was prior John Kazana, or around John Kazana's time, when Roy, he had such a large area where he couldn't put his relatives to run and maintain full control, he allowed certain guys to operate. And what he did then is in order to expand his uh, operation, he started providing promoters with talent, with wrestlers. Now, they couldn't get those wrestlers. And first of all, if he didn't want them to be there, they wouldn't be there to begin with. So he said, I'm going to send you wrestlers, and you're going to pay me 10% of the gate. It was called a booking fee. Now he moves his office around the late 40s from Dyersburg to Nashville. Centrally located, bigger city, able to handle more markets, able to do more business. They were running probably in the late 40s, early 50s, as many as three towns a night in different states. They were running 21 events a week. They were drawing anywhere from 1,000 people to up to 10,000 in some, some arenas and in some cities. The sport was really growing. Television was about to be invented. Television was about to come, to come into play here. The sport was coming back. The war's over. It's growing in popularity. You've got Gorgeous George, 
who probably changed the sport as much as it. He comes along right about the time of television. Television was so important to wrestling. My dad used to say, and I thought this was a great line, he said, uh, wrestling made television and television made wrestling. And what he meant is wrestling was a tremendous vehicle for television. Television was new. Didn't have the capability of doing football or doing basketball. A wrestling event was a small ring and a small studio. It was easy to record. It connected with people like very few sports connect with people. It gave the promoter the opportunity. It became his marketing tool. It was everything was based around your television. So at that point, when you expanded your territory, you went to places that had television stations. And they started to, Roy's territory in particular, and this was all the territories across the United States, they began to get on TV. The deal was when dad was young, he was sent to Kingsport. He says, they've got a television station. Get us on there. And back in those days, when you're running in 12 states and you've got TVs in different cities or eight different cities, and they're all in studios and they all want live programs and there's no tape. You can't do one show and jockey it around your whole area. They had then to have a lot of talent. He had to have a lot of wrestlers. So, And who were, were some of these guys? Do you remember some oh, of the names? Oh, now we're talking about Lynn Rossi. We'll go way back. We're talking about Lynn Rossi, and who became a huge star in the Nashville area. Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens was a young guy along the Gulf Coast. He became a big star. You're talking about Dick Dunn. Don Carson and Les Wolf was down in the Memphis area. Sputnik Monroe was just about to come onto the scene. Some Mario Galento. It just was amazing the number of guys that were starting to get into the business. They still back Tony to where we were talking about and what we've said all along is the basics was still shoot. The basics was you don't get in it. If you're not willing to pay the price, and to pay the price, you've got to shoot. You've got to learn to wrestle. And when you say shoot, you mean? I mean learn to wrestle. Learn to really wrestle. Learn how to hurt people if you need to. Learn how to protect your sport. Protect your sport. Very important. Yes. You wanted to protect your integrity of your sport because if you didn't do that, that's... If If a civilian beat you up, for instance, in a bar... That's bad news. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. And let's just take bars as an example. And some of it from old time, but some some of it from new time. Wrestlers had a lot of altercations in bars. You know, it was a common damn thing because they were recognized. And those people that believed that they were bad obviously didn't mess with them. But there was a lot of people said, ah, I've seen that wrestling on TV and it's all a bunch of fake. So you either said, hey, you know, you want to find out common story was you basically want to find out. I'll give you an example. The Fields brothers wrestled along the Gulf Coast, and there was a wrestler named Mario Galento. He was a heel there. He went into a bar one night, and my dad heard this story because he was wrestling for my dad when this happened. Somebody was giving him some crap at a bar about wrestling being real. The guy says, that wrestling's all phony, and 
And Mario says, yeah, is that right? And he goes, yeah. He goes, hey, you're all just screaming and hollering. You ain't really hurting each other. And that the holes that you got don't hurt anybody. And uh, Mario says, well, you know, he says, well, maybe let's see. The guy says, oh, you're going to do something to me? You want to show me one of those moves? So he hammerlocks him in the bar, takes him down on his face in the bar, runs his arm up his back, and starts cranking him. And uh, the guy starts screaming. He's screaming like crazy, and everybody's all backing up in the bar like, what the hell's going on? Mario's cranking the guy's arm, and he goes, boy, you're great. You're better than those fields, boys. He said, this is what you're talking about, right? This kind of fake. And how, how about this? Let's see. Can you drill a little louder? Come on. Let's hear you loud. He's just making fun of him and breaking the guy's arm. And everybody's there like, gosh, almighty, man. He's really hurting this guy everywhere. I'll give you another wonderful one. I always love this. I call this my catch-up story. I've got people that say this is one of the classics. Buddy Colt and Johnny Valentine. Two really tough guys in Jacksonville. And they go having a few beers after the match. They get into this little diner in Jacksonville. They're sitting there at the bar, and they've got the ketchup bottle and the mustard thing and that stuff like that. And there's four guys sitting behind them at a table. And the four guys behind them recognize them. They both got blonde hair, and they look like wrestlers anyway. So one of them comes over, and Valentine and Coulter, they're not bothering anybody. They're kind of staying to themselves and leaving everybody alone. And this guy comes in and interrupts them, and he gets kind of stuffs his face in between them and goes, uh, you guys are them wrestlers, aren't you? And they go, Colt's closest to the guy, and Colt says, yeah, yeah, we're wrestlers. You know, he says, but, but go away. You're bothering us. We're here just minding our own business, man. Just get lost. So the guy doesn't leave. The guy says, no, no. He goes, uh, yeah, I know you guys. I've seen you guys. And he says, uh, that blood that you see when people get hit and you guys start bleeding, he, he says, that's not real blood. He goes, uh, that's fake blood. Those are famous last words. Yeah. So now he's talking to the two wrong guys to be saying something like this. And he says, that's not real blood. That's fake blood. And Colt says, hey, man, go away. Just go sit down with your buddies over there. No, he just keeps going. No, no, I know it's fake blood. It's fake blood. And uh, so Colt just reaches up, and there's a ketchup bottle there. And he picks the top of the ketchup bottle up, and he turns, and he smacks this guy in the forehead with it. Pow! Breaks the ketchup bottle, cuts the guy's head, knocks him out. He falls in the floor backwards. And his three buddies are sitting there. They watch it. He starts bleeding. The three guys jump up like they're going to help him. And Colt says, sit down, sit down. And the guys go, no, no, he's, he's out cold. He's bleeding. And he says, that's just ketchup. Don't worry about it. It's just ketchup. <laughs> he said, just stay there until I tell you. And they sat there, finished their meal, got laid there on the floor bleeding, took another five, ten minutes, got up casually and walked on out the door and uh, let the guys up. Everybody said, how they bleed that much? And I've never seen a flake blood capsule either. I don't know what they do in the movies and how they get it. I'm sure they don't. they don't actually bleed. You bleed in the sport of wrestling. I never saw any anybody that was bleeding that wasn't actually bleeding. What was the first time you uh, you had to get collar in a match? First man? time yeah. I was wrestling Ronnie Garvin in Fort Myers, Florida. I had lost a loser-leave-town match, and I came back as Mr. Fort Myers. I got cut so deeply that it hit an artery, 
And it was the first time that I'd ever bled in the ring. And it was really deep. When it happened, I bent forward, and a big glob of blood came out the right eye hole, right? It just, it was like a big spot instantly on the, on the mat. I was bleeding really badly, and Les Thatcher was there at the building, and he saw that I was getting, but it, the match was so good that I was so inspired and so enthused that he came and pulled the mask off of me because I couldn't see anymore. There was so much blood coming out of both eye holes. When he pulled the mask off, it was an artery, so it, the blood started shooting out. Every heartbeat, it would go out into the crowd, and Les pushed me back into the ropes, and he says, God, he goes, you got to get out of here. You're going to bleed to death. He goes, you got to leave. I, and I said, hell no, the match ain't over. I pushed him out of the way, and I continued on. And I remember that people in the first three rows, I started to notice there was nobody sitting there. I was like, damn, I think this is a great match. They're going nuts. But I had bled on so many people. When, when I would fall on the ropes and had my arms over the ropes, and I would turn my head, it would go, people were getting up and leaving right and i remember there was a woman and her boyfriend sitting in the first row only people on the first row still and she had a white dress on so i remember seeing her and just because they were still there i was like well i'm gonna empty all of y'all out right so i just dropped down right there and i just aimed it i just i got it boom and it just went right straight across her dress. <laughs> she, she screamed, and her and her boyfriend took off running. I was like, it was 15 stitches. It was a good night for me. It was a good night. I was really pleased I was becoming big time. I wrestled in that town quite a bit. It was really funny. That was a small town. You didn't get to wrestle in Tampa. You went to Fort Myers. And I got sent to Fort Myers all the time because I was young and didn't know anything. And they had never drawn a half a crowd in Fort Myers. And me and Ronnie Garvin went down there and stayed for six months. And we drew the biggest crowds. They could not put half the people that wanted to get into that army in there the last three months that I was there. And they brought us out of Fort Myers, put us on TV wrestling one another, and Eddie was running the territory, Eddie Graham, and he says, uh, you boys are no longer in Fort Myers. You're in Tampa. We graduated, both of us, about the same time to the big time. We moved up on the card. Let's go back to your grandfather as he takes wrestling into the big time in the state of Tennessee. And there are people who regard him as the godfather of wrestling in Memphis because basically he appointed the Jarretts to help him run that area. Gullis in Nashville. How did these folks come to get involved in the territory with him? Can you walk us through that? We'll start with Jarrett, okay? Roy had an office in Nashville. He had a private secretary who was Christine Jarrett. And Nick had a private secretary. Her name was uh, Nina or something like that. She was a Greek girl because Nick Goulas was Greek. Christine, being involved in the business, and she's there as a secretary or taking care of Royce, whatever he needed to have done, he would give her the task. She had a son named Jerry. She wanted to get Jerry involved in the business. And Jerry, not a big guy. Jerry Jarrett's not a big guy. And, and so... Royce went ahead and said, okay, well, we'll train him and we'll use him. And Jerry started wrestling in Memphis. And then 
when things changed, Roy got to be older. He left. He couldn't handle his business anymore. Uh, he kind of said, I want Jerry Jarrett to run Memphis, Louisville. He ended up in Louisville, Memphis, Evansville, Indiana. Eventually, he had his own towns. He ran Lexington, Kentucky. He ran some of those deals. Prior to Jerry going to Memphis, Memphis is a story in itself. One of the greatest wrestling cities in the history of America. Share Memphis. it. Go ahead. Tell us about it. In 1959, we went to Mobile when I was a kid in 54. Dad became a huge success. Drew 40,000 people in Ladd Stadium in 1958 against Mario Galento with Joe Lewis refereeing. 40,000 people. And then he went to Memphis. Memphis was dead. There was nobody. It was such a small crowd the first night he went in there. The ringsiders were making fun of his new wrestlers. They said, ah, that, yeah, he ain't as good as so-and-so, he ain't as good as so-and-so. He went down and told all of them, he says, you're finished. I know you got reserved seats here. You've been coming for years. I don't want to ever see you here again. Your tickets are gone. He emptied the building. He only had probably 300 people, and he sent the ringsiders home. So he went in and turned Memphis upside down down he marketed beyond anything anybody any other promoters ever did he ran on buses he ran on bus benches he put signs on taxi cabs wrestling was the king of sports was his logo the king of sports he did billboards he's the first guy to ever use billboards he took memphis tv from a one-hour program he talked them into doing 90 minutes and they did it live it was an 80 share market just like knoxville was they just dominated big time he brought in Sputnik Monroe. He brought in Mario Galento. He brought in Billy Wicks. He brought in Greg Peterson. He brought in all these guys that had, had become his boys. He had become his crew. He built Mobile and the Gulf Coast with them. Now he takes them to Memphis. Memphis explodes. They've got the live program. They have Lance Russell there, a great commentator. they got a quality product. Maybe the go. greatest wrestling commentator One, in the history. Wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, you can't yeah. say enough great things yeah. about him. Oh, I, hey, Lance is just unbelievable. Along comes Jackie Fargo and Don Fargo. There was a parade of talent through there in the early 60s, and he lit it up to such an extent that they had a Cadillac tournament. It was one of the first ones. They never had one in Memphis before. And they actually gave away a Cadillac to the winner of the tournament. Billy Wicks wrestled Sputnik Monroe. It was such a big event that Ellis Auditorium used to be the old building there. It would not hold it. They went to the baseball stadium that held 30-something thousand people. I was 12 years old. I got to go see it. One of the few times I ever got to go to the matches. And I was there, and I watched them. They parked the Cadillac. They opened the fence up and drove the Cadillac onto the field and left it in center field. The stadium was totally filled. There had to be 35, 40,000 people. And there was thousands of people on the field itself. Billy Wicks was really over. He was a great baby face. They loved him there. And Sputnik Monroe was even bigger. He had tapped into the huge number of black people that lived there. They went nuts for him. And so that just ignited things. So... This match has, was so spectacular in the scope and how big it was that when the match was over, Wicks got busted both eyes, hard weight. 
boom, boom. Monroe actually copped him, bang, busted both eyes. So he won the car. He went out in the field and got in his Cadillac. The fans came over the fences and over the, the walls of the stadium, and they went out on the field. They opened the gates for him to drive the Cadillac out. So many people got on the field and around the Cadillac, he couldn't move it. He couldn't drive it. Now, he's sitting in a brand-new Cadillac. He's bleeding all over the seats and everything. I'll never forget this. The crowd picked up the Cadillac. The crowd picked him up in the car and carried him through that opening and set him down. And I think it's one of the big streets in Memphis. I can't remember the name of it right now. There was a big four-lane street back in those days, and this is 1963 or whatever. They set him down, blocked traffic for miles, and he drove off in the Cadillac. Never seen that much enthusiasm in a crowd. It's just like, it gave me goosebumps then. I was little, I was like, wow, look at this, man. They're carrying that car. And that place has always had a tremendous relationship with that territory from the moment it was birthed. Oh, yeah. It was a total love affair. Oh, yeah. And I went there in 75. In 74, when I came here, I went over there every Monday and wrestled in Memphis. And Jarrett was running it. Jarrett says, Ron, I need a star. And I was just becoming really good. And I had just named myself the Tennessee Stud. I came here. I was There was no Tennessee Stud. And when I came here and bought this territory or the town there was no territory it was just a town i had to have something going so i said you know i need a real something i can stick my hat on how am i gonna build myself and then i was riding along one night and i heard the old song tennessee stud and i said gee money that damn that that's a pretty good fit so i started the old tennessee stud deal and that's where it came from the song and i went to memphis as the tennessee stud first town i ever pop for them. They were doing big business. We really cranked it up big time. And Rob came in later on. Dad came in. We worked with guys from Australia. Bill Dundee, George Barnes. You know, there were three guys from Australia that we wrestled many, many times in Memphis. Some great, great matches. But that, and that the history of that town is really phenomenal. Lawler wrestled them all. I wrestled in that town. I wrestled guys that I'd always wanted to wrestle. I wrestled uh, Dick DeBruiser. I wrestled the Sheik. Guys that I had seen for years and years. And Jared just kept, he kept feeding me. He kept bringing these big stars. I was cranking them. I was beating them. And I was really over there big time. And, uh, And then I was starting my business here. But I didn't have that type of talent to work with. So it is true that Christine Jarrett was the end. Christine It was how that territory, the Jarretts, became to get involved. That's how the Jarretts got involved. And uh, Nick, on Nick's end, Nick ran Birmingham. Uh, He ran Nashville. Let's do Nick's story. Hang on. Okay. We're going to take a brief time out. We're going to come back. In the meantime, I want to remind you, if you want to ask a question of Ron, and he will be taking questions on the other side, go to his Facebook page, Ron Fuller Welch. Also, you can hit him up, Ron Fuller, TennesseeStud.com, Ron Fuller, TennesseeStud.com. We encourage you to check out that website. We are constantly, constantly adding new stuff to the website. In the meantime, we'll get a brief timeout. We'll come back. Studcast 4 rolls on 
with some listener participation. Ask the stud right after this. The Studcast continues in one minute after these important Studcast offers. Hey, this is David Summers. Thank you for joining us for this historical and unique Studcast. We invite you to visit RonFullerTNStud.com. That's RonFullerTNStud.com. And take a ride through the Stud store. Souvenirs like masks and t-shirts will soon be available, as well as vintage videos of the Stud in action. Friend us on Facebook at RonFullerWelch and ask any question you may have about the sport we all love. If your question is selected as the best of the Studcast, you'll receive a personal autographed 8x10 photo of the stud. Hang that baby up in the living room. Follow us on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch and tell us what you think about our stud cast. Message us on Instagram at Ron Fuller Welch and show your support. We value your opinion, so communicate with us on this awesome journey through wrestling history with the first family of wrestling. We're honored and humbled by the response we're receiving and we hope you'll continue to spread the word. And remember, a new stud cast is born every Monday, so Saturday Battle up and ride with the stud. You are back, seated ringside, on this edition of the Ron Fuller Studcast. Pull up a seat, but don't get too close, as you heard the stud say before, because I might reach across this console, and he might start squirting blood all over this listening audience. And stud, we don't want that to happen here in our studio, as we are in glorious Knoxville, Tennessee, home of the Vols a place with tremendous wrestling lineage, and it is great to have the Tennessee stud back. The mayor himself, Tim Burchett, has been listening to our first couple of podcasts, reached out to me, and wanted me to know that you're welcome in these parts anytime. A couple years ago, did a proclamation for you when you came back. They love you in these parts, but the thing about the stud is we must share him all across the world because the stud cast, word is getting out, and it is spreading. and It's gone viral, as we say. And so now, without further ado, Stud, why don't you, if you can, unlock the vault a little further as we open it up to the listener at home. Share with us a couple of the questions this week. Okay. Uh, And and first of all, I'd like to thank everybody for participating in this. The questions have been phenomenal. And there's such a huge amount of them and, and the variety of questions and time frames and it's i really like this part of the show it i'm eager every week to go look and see what my questions are and try to pick a winner and uh, there's a lot of a lot of great ones we got one here from uh, melissa tillery in troy alabama and she asks ron do you still have any of your tennessee stud mask if so how many since I was the first Tennessee stud and the first one to wear a mask is a Tennessee stud, obviously, I still have about four or five masks. But on my website, Ron Fuller, Tennessee stud, I want to make these masks and make them available to wrestling fans. We've got some other items and other souvenirs there that, that you can lock into that website and you can hook up and we'll be glad to send out to you. But Melissa, I still have about five of those of the original masks. They're different colors. I'm going to start 
making those available on my website. So, Melissa, if you want one, I don't know what a mask looks like on a woman. You know, I don't know how that's going to be. If that's something that uh, you know, my wife asked get... me to wear one on our yeah. honeymoon. I don't know what that was about. But... <laughs> well, I'll get you a Tennessee stud mask, and you have one of those. <laughs> well, I might have to borrow something else from you, Ron, to make that official. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. You're so, yeah, Melissa, man. Melissa in Troy, Alabama. Tremendous wrestling market there. Thank you for that great question. By the way, if you want to ask a question of Ron. Hit him up on his website, ronfullertennesseestud.com, or on Facebook, Ron Fuller Welch. Follow him and go ahead and ask a question. Go ahead, Ron. All right. This is uh, James Thompson. He's from Houston, Texas. I love Texas. It's a good state. I've spent a lot of time down there. How many people in your family have wrestled? And that's a good question. We keep working our way toward the toward the end of that number, and we're about halfway there, I guess. Uh, actually, so I sat down and looked at it and counted them up myself. It's more than 20. I may have missed one here or there, and at some point maybe we'll name them all or whatever it is. Maybe we can put something on the website that shows the family tree. But there's more than 20 wrestlers. There's been two that were just referees for their entire career, and there's been eight of us that have wrestled and promoted. Most of them successfully, certainly Roy, very successfully. My dad, extremely successful as both wrestler and promoter. And, and I like to think I've had some success in both both wrestling and promotions as well. I appreciate your question, James, and I think I'm going to make your question the winner of the week this week. We'll get that uh, autographed photo out there to you. Please just everybody keep sending them in. It's just wonderful. I I'd like to do a whole program someday on just this type of thing. Oh, no question. And we, we will do that down the line, no doubt. In fact, maybe one day we'll sit in here and take some live questions from some people and really ramp this thing up and take it to the next level down the line. A couple other things I'd love to do as we get uh, going and get our feet on the ground. But as it is, Stud, you've got one more to answer here, so go ahead and get to it. This is Becky Smith, and she's from Panama City, Florida. I was at the last Continental Wrestling Reunion, and you still appear to be in great shape. Do you still work out, and if so, how often? First of all, that's a very nice comment. I want to appreciate that, Becky. I try to stay in shape. I quit wrestling in 1988. I actually work out harder now than I ever did even when I was wrestling. I work out five times a week in the gym. I still do weight training. I've not gotten to much beyond the weight training. Don't do a lot of running or that type of stuff. I try to stay active. Every once in a while, if I get a chance, I like to get in the ring. I still do a little bit of wrestling sometimes with younger guys that don't know anything. Guys today, they want to know how to shoot. They want to know, show me something. And that's a shame that guys are in the business today. They have no shooting background. They don't know anything about that. It's kind of a thrill for me to say, hey, man, here's you want to beat somebody, here's how you do it. It was a great sport, and it's still a great sport. What's a shoot hold I have to know? Sugar. Let's start with the sugar. Sugar hold. The sugar. Okay. One of the best holds of all time. I didn't discover it. I never heard of it. Nobody ever taught it to me. We probably will talk about this down the line, but I was a part of what was called the snake pit in Tampa. Most people never heard of it, and probably you haven't either. They had an office there, 
It was off of Albany, 106 North Albany. It was the sportatorium. It's where the wrestling office was and where Gordon Soley and them did television every Wednesday. And you could come into that building at any time and shoot if you wanted to. If you thought you could be a wrestler and you wanted to see what it was all about, it was pretty well common knowledge that if you wanted to show up down there and bang on the door and say, I'd like to be a wrestler, then they would bring you in there. There was a group of us, Bob Roop, Hiro Matsuda, Jack Briscoe, myself, Don Curtis at times, that were there three, four days a week. We would go in, we'd wrestle in Miami as an example, get home at 4 o'clock in the morning, and 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock be in the gym in the sportatorium shooting with each other. We weren't wrestling. We weren't trying to learn how to work. We were shooting. We were still shooting, trying to figure out how to get even better. And they would let the marks in. They would let these guys in. And I saw some of the most brutal beatings and bloodbaths in that building. Eddie Graham ran it. Eddie loved it. He was the snake pit king. And he would bring them in. They'd let them get dressed. And they would bring them out there. And we would fight and argue over who gets them because we wanted to chew them up. We were really in good shape. We wanted to have that opportunity to, to grind somebody and to, to practice new moves on them. So we brought those guys in there. And if we didn't do a good enough job, Eddie would stand there and watch. And if we didn't chew them up and break them up and pulverize them enough, then Eddie would do his treatment. And his treatment was he would just go crazy on them. He would beat them with his fist, stomp them with his feet. He would bleed them. Oh, and he was like a wild man. He was so terrifying that when he would get on them, you would just back off and let him go until he finished. And he would never finish until they were unconscious. He would leave them laying there. So this is Florida's answer to Stu Hart's dungeon, basically. There you go. Except it's times 10. It's Stu's times 10. I know Stu's Dungeon, too. I got stories about Stu's Dungeon. This is Stu's Dungeon times times 10. 10. Times 10. I'll give you an example. That's not possible. I'll give you an example. One guy comes in. He's small. He weighs maybe 180 pounds. He comes in and his wife. There's nobody in there but four or five of us guys. She sits down on the first row, and she's chewing her gum. And... He goes back and dresses. He comes out, he's wearing a mask. I mean, that's his first mistake, right? He gets in the ring, he's got his mask on, and he's jumping around and bouncing around. And now we're all like, oh, I want him. I want him big time. And so Roop gets the shot. Roop gets the shot with him. Roop grabs him. First, he grabs him in a bear hug. But he grabs him real low around his waist. And instead of picking him up and squeezing him like a bear hug would, he grabs him that way and he suplexes him backwards. He arches his back and goes straight back with him so that the guy's hands come up and the first thing it hits is his face and his hands. And then Roop just kept his body coming and bent him to his head and his heels touched backwards. I watched it. I thought it broke his back. That guy was like an inverted C there at some go. point. There you go. He just he bent him backwards like you had been forward. And you can't do that, right? And he made an awful noise. He made a noise like 
like he'd killed him. Like, it just like, yeah, just listen, how, squealing. And he just laid there. I was like, oh, God, he's killed this guy, right? And uh, so the guy rolls out to the floor, and Eddie's out there, and Eddie just picks him up and throws him back in and says, get up, get up. You know, you ain't even started yet, right? So, so Eddie says to Roop, he says, get him. So, so Roop goes, Roop goes over and puts him in a hold, and the guy, the guy's fighting now to try to get it. He's fighting for his life, literally. He's already hurt real bad, and his shoulder got hurt in the bump that he took. So he's kind of hanging his shoulder a little bit, and Roop's on top of him, and he's flailing with his knees, and he hits Roop with a knee accidentally in the face, right? And, oh, that was it. Like, oh, now Roop gets up, and he just, he starts stomping him. He stomps him in the face. He stomps him in the chest. He stomps him in the back. Whatever's there, he just stomping, stomping, stomping. Now he's starting to bleed, right? So he rolls out to the floor. He rolls out to the floor, and there's a door where the fans come into the TV, and he sees that door back there, right? And he makes a run for the door, and uh, Roop's right behind him. Roop's going to get him again, right? And he gets to the door, he opens the door, and out he goes, and he goes out the front door, and there's a street there. And he turns left on the street. He starts running down the street. He's got one shoulder hanging like this, and he's hobbling because his back's all hurt. He's bloody as heck. And and they call the cops. Somebody sees him, and Root's chasing (laughs) him down the street. And then somebody sees it, and they call, God, man, this guy's getting beat. He's getting killed, you know. And so the cops come. Now, they had seen this stuff before. They were very familiar with what went on in this building, right? right? And they liked Eddie. They had a lot of respect. In Eddie wore all, won all kinds of awards down there for great citizenship, oh, the whole thing. So. Boys clubs. Call the cops all you want. Call the cops all you want, I guess. They, there you go. So they, they picked the guy up, and they put him in the car, you know, and they bring him back to the sportatorium. And he's still bleeding. He's in the back seat of the car, and I'm a big kid i'm just you know i'm two years in the business i like everybody else we go out there to see what's going to happen and the cop gets out of the car and he and eddie's standing there and then roop walks up there looks through the window at the guy the guy sees roop and he ah he starts screaming like oh god oh no don't let it and the and i'm wondering now what is the cop going to do about this the cop reaches over and he opens the back door of the cop car he reaches in and grabs the guy and he jerks him out onto the sidewalk and he says you son of a bitch he goes you come in this building he said you deserve it he said, he said, I think if I was you, I'd take off running down that damn street again because these boys are going to get you, man. And the guy took off running again. So I go back in the building now. His wife is sitting oh, there. No. She's never changed expressions. She's never, when he got suplexed on his face, when he starts bleeding, when he runs out the building, she sat there. She chewing her gum. I'm watching her. I'm like, what in the heck is this all about? So I go back in and I go, uh, I believe your husband's gone, you know. And she goes, she gets up and she goes, well, I guess I better get his clothes. Walks back there in the dressing room, gets his clothes, and walks out. I'm like, so in the purest and realest of all senses, 
there is a huge physical and mental price to pay to get in your fraternity. Oh, gosh, man. And and that territory especially, more than most any. So I'm going to go back to the sugar hole. This is how bad it was, okay? One day we have Gordon Nelson. Gordon Nelson is an English guy from Wiggum. If you ever heard of Wiggum, England, there's a shooter town. I mean, he was a bad guy, and and he came. He was there, and some Mark came, said he wanted to wrestle, and uh, so Eddie, Eddie's there, and there's me and Matsuda and Roop and Briscoe and no more troop that are all anybody can take care of any of them, and uh, and he goes to Gordon. He goes, well, Gordon, you know, we've never seen you and heard a whole lot about you. How about you take this boy? You know, get this guy. You know, guy was a big guy, and uh. Gordon goes in, and Gordon puts him in a hold. I'd never seen a hold. None of us had ever seen a hold. And it was a strange way, strange way he got it. But as soon as he got it, you could tell it was really something. And he cranked it down on him. And, and he's close to the ropes. And Eddie walks up there. And the guy is going, <laughs> he's making these funny noises. And he's like his wind's cut off. And, uh. And Eddie starts talking to Gordon, and they're having just a normal conversation like they're just eating dinner together. And he says, uh, what you got there? You know, and Gordon says, hey, that's my sugar. And he says, you're what? And he said, my sugar. And he said, what do you mean, your sugar? He says, it's my sugar hold. He says, it's, it's a good one. You know, and he says, well, how bad can you hurt him? Now, the guy's just kicking, and he's, he's, not, he's dying, and they're <laughs> having, having a, a little private conversation. Convers- they're having a little conversation about wow. how bad he's hurting him. And he says, well, how bad can you hurt him? And he says, well, he might. He says, uh, you know, for the 30, 45 seconds, he, he'll start bleeding out his ears, you know? And that's like, so we're like, wow, we're, we all, I walked up there, man. I want to see this. How's he got this, right? So he turns him loose. The guy rolls out on the floor. I mean, he was almost totally out. We had to resuscitate him to get him up to his feet to get him out of the building. So Gordon's still there. We were all piled into the ring. Show me that. Show me that. Show me that hold. Show me that hold. And that that's hold. I don't know. Roop left there with that knowledge. I did. Uh, Matt Suda. I mean, I had a lot. I went to Australia after that. And uh, when I was in Australia, I was wrestling guys from the crowd. My dad and Jim Barnett were running it. And dad wanted them to know that wrestling was real. So he said, would you shoot every night with people out of the crowd? So they announced, if you want to wrestle somebody we got a wrestler going Which, to wrestle. by the way, is a dangerous proposition. Very dangerous. As we move 40 years past. Very dangerous. We're not back in the 19-teens anymore. Oh, no, no, People no. are watching us on TV. No. But it was Australia, not America. Okay. You know, so it was a little different there, you know. So, anyway, I used the sugar. I mean, it was easy to get, and it was, oh, it was dead. It was a dead boom. Boom, you got it. And two seconds, it's a tap out. I'm out. I'd let me go. You know, one of those things. I did that here in Knoxville with Dale Lewis. Not the sugar hole, but I did the same thing. I got him a $1,000 bill. He taped it on his suit lapel. And back in the 70s in Knoxville, he would challenge anybody. He says, if you want to wrestle me, you think you can beat me, you'll get this $1,000. And they would line up at night in every town. He would wrestle them every night. And uh, Dale Lewis, Olympic wrestler tremendous background but a nice guy 
He didn't have that killer mentality. And I told somebody this story last night. Uh, Danny Hodge came one night, and I'd never had any problems. Dale mm. didn't hurt anybody. Danny's up top with me in the old Chihuahua Park standing side by side. Dale is shooting with one of these guys, and the guy throws a punch at him. And Dale goes nuts. He, I mean, Danny goes nuts. He screams down there. He goes, kill him. Kill that bastard. Kill him. And I'm going, I'm Danny. Like, no, Danny. She said, no, please don't kill him. No, Danny. No, no. Calm down, Danny. You know? So the guy gets up. Dale gets him back in the ropes. And the guy tries to stick his fingers in Dale's eyes. I mean, the guy was really stupid, right? Danny just takes the no left. He's gone. He goes down those old stairs at the old Jacobs building and straight to the ring. And Dale Lewis is horrified at Danny. Everybody's horrified. horrified. That's guy. a tough guy. That's one of the Danny craziest Hodge people that ever live. Yeah, he's one of the craziest wow. people. Yeah, yeah. Right, he's off the chart. Yeah. And uh, so Danny says, Danny says, <laughs> the guy's laying there. Dale's got him down. He's about to pin him. It's about to be over. I'm going, oh, God, count him out. Count him out. Quick, right? And now Danny says, let him up. Stomp his head. I'm going, no, no, no. I can hear him now. Stomp his head, Dale, or I'm coming in there. I was like, oh, no. So Dale backs off. He's looking at Danny. He's looking at the guy. Guy's laying there. All he had to do was cover him. It's all over. And, and boy, here he goes. He stomps him right in the face. I was like, oh, there I am. Because you're pro- you're promoting that. Oh, right? I'm a lot. It's lawsuit time, man. It's big money. So wow. let me ask you that. That's a good. That, and that's that. And that's a question, a behind the scenes question, of somebody that's promoted. When you're going to start interacting with the crowd, the general public, you are opening yourself up to a suit unless you get them to sign something. Do they sign waivers for? Oh they yeah, co- they sign waivers, but the waiver's really no good. The waiver is pretty well useless. I found that out. Because yeah. <laughs> this guy signed the waiver. And then he goes back, finds himself a lawyer, and then, you know, they go, well, you can't, you can't put him in there with It's like a, With these trained he, professionals. There you go. Yeah. You got to – it's like a, there's a bear up there, and he wants to get in there with that bear. Are you going to let a damn guy that don't know anything <laughs> get in there with a bear? You know, of course it's not going to So what year happen. would that have been? Would that's you put 19, him into that? That's probably 1975. Okay. Dale came here early on when I started promoting, and I used him like my dad used me in Australia. And, you know, I wanted to, people to respect him. I didn't do it myself. Dale was a good guy. So it was it was more appropriate that he do it. And I knew he wasn't going to hurt anybody because he had a good heart. He, he just he just he was stretch just a, a little great bit, make you scream, stretch him and scream and get a, get a little out. bit, and he normally pinned him. Not he here to break anybody's him. arms or that's you know. it, that's it. So, you know, that's it's 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 there if you want it. There are a lot of crazy people, and uh, it was not a good place. If you went to Tampa and you went showed up sportatorium to wrestle the wrestler. You were not a very smart individual. <laughs> so we've learned a few things here on episode four. We picked this up. We're going to find out how George Goulas got involved, or, or Nick Goulas, rather, through your father. And we're going to learn some other interesting, uh, I'm sure, tremendous things as we continue to go. Stud, we're about out of time. Anything else you want to add today on today's edition of the Studcast? No, I just thank people. I, I know that from looking at uh, the results of the first first ones that we've done, that, that we're building a pretty darn good audience. There's a lot of people interested, and I appreciate the fact that 
that uh, people are tuning in and that people are going to the website and picking up these stud casts. And I just want to thank everybody. for, the, And I want to thank you, Tony, for the great job you do here and for giving me, you're kind of giving me the opportunity to vent and to tell my side of, of what it's all about and what was it all about. And uh, it's been a, it's been a good good trip so far and uh, we've got so many good things to get to i hope people just keep tuning in each week and keep grabbing these stud casts and and let's just uh just keep riding with the stud and we'll take her home yeah i want to say a word about that because there have been some comments on some of the boards about the stud cast and one of the things that i want to emphasize here is that Today we started out and we meant to talk about the 40s and we ended up on the sugar hold several decades later. Understand, and several names were mentioned today and I wrote a bunch of them down that we're going to get Ron to elaborate on as we go forward. So please be patient with us and we're going to circle back and we're going to try and cover everything that everybody wants covered, answer every question that everybody wants answered. Just because today's show concludes does not mean that it's closed canon. This will continue to stay open. It is continue, we will continue to be as receptive to what you want to hear as humanly possible. And he mentioned Rossi's name today and Ray Stevens and their start and Dick Dunn and Don Carson and Les Wolf and Sputnik Monroe and Mario Galento. And I'm sure we could spend an hour on each of them. Christine Jarrett, uh, the Jarrett family, their contributions. We're going to talk about Golis the relationship uh, that Ron and his brother had with his father. We haven't even talked about Buddy as of yet. So there's just so much stuff out there. So please be patient with us. My job here is to allow the stud to talk and to not jump in and to not direct the conversation. Let it go where it's going to go. That's what we're looking to do here. Kind of stud like you would a great wrestling match. You, you listen to the crowd and you let it go where it's going to go. That's kind of what we're trying to do here. You know, uh, what we're doing is, is just like a match. You never know where it's going. You may think you know where it's going, but you never know where it's going. And uh, and, and I really appreciate yeah. you you handling it the way you are. And I, and I agree, the fans at home, they're probably going, well, when are we going to hear the rest yeah. of that? We're yeah. going to hear the rest of that. Nobody we're, here is trying to get our high spots in, yeah. in other words. Yeah. That's yeah. not what we're doing here. No, we're letting no. this thing go where it's going to go. We're 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 going to tell it all before we finish. We're going to tell it all, and that's exactly what we aim to do. I encourage you to please spread the word for us if you enjoyed what you've heard. Tell friends about it. Share it online. Share the link to the website. I want to encourage you to go to RonFullerTennesseeStud.com if you haven't already. Also, become Ron's friend on Facebook. You can find him Ron Fuller Welch on the Facebook page, and please get your questions in. In the meantime, Stud, thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. It's my pleasure to be here. Craig, Love this Knoxville. And Craig, who's put this thing together behind the scenes, thank you, Craig. Well, more than welcome. I'm loving every minute of it just as much as you are. What an honor it is to be through four Stud casts. I feel like a changed individual for the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. This is Tony Basilio. Wishing you a tremendous day. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction. 
for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.